You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. Hi. Hi. Do you not say hello back in San Francisco? Hi. Great. Okay. I was scared there for a minute. It's going to be a really long 40 minutes. Great to see all of you. Grace and peace to you. And uh, it's, gosh, it's great to be with you in sunny California. And I love your city, by the way. I was born in Las Gatas. Don't hold that against me. And uh, grew up in Santa Cruz and moved to Portland when I was 12. So I have all these great memories. Portland is home, but I have all these great memories of growing up around the Bay, coming up for Warriors games and coming to the city for, yeah. And aren't they lousy? You know, they're getting better, huh? Yeah, anyway, I don't care anymore. But... I was really into basketball, and then I found out I suck at sports, so now I don't care and listen to music. But, um, <laughs> but uh, I have all these great memories, and I love your city. It's great to be back, and I love your church uh, as a distant guy. I love what God is stirring in you and all over San Francisco. There's a ton of similarity between this church and the one that I'm a part of up in Portland, probably because our city, your city is much larger, but we're both on the West Coast. We're both pluralistic. We're both in a city where followers of Jesus are a dinky minority. Am I right? In Portland, and my guess is it's about the same in San Francisco, 4% of the city is in a church on any given Sunday. And church, that is not just, you know, like you or the one I'm a part of. That's Muslim mosque, Jewish synagogue, Baha'i temple. Now, if you, um, if you add in yoga studios with a prayer, the number goes up to 50 or 60%. <laughs> but if you don't count that, it's 4%. So I know what it's like to be in a city and to feel like you're a dinky minority, like the people you work with think you're insane. You, you believe in Jesus? I've never met one of you before, really, <laughs> seriously. Um, but at the same time, to be filled with hope for the future of your city. And I sense that here. I sense that in how you sing. You sing really well, by the way. I sense that in how you sing and how you pray. And man, I can't wait to see the San Francisco story unfold. I'm at the risk of sounding a bit presumptuous, uh, Portland, about 10 or 15 years ago, when I was in high school and college, in the city of Portland, not so much out in the suburbs, but in the city, there was little or nothing as far as healthy churches. There were one or two older churches that were good, but were shrinking, literally, and dying, literally dying. And, uh, but there was nothing as far as a healthy, Jesus-centered, spirit, gospel, kingdom kind of church. And then one was planted called Imago Day that I'm not a part of, but I'm really good friends with, about 13 or 14 years ago. And that one church changed everything. It was like the, the opening of floodgates. And ever since, there have been church plant after church plant, move of God after move of God. Now there are dozens of churches in a city that is very much not Christian at all, by any stretch of the imagination. There are more good churches in Portland than any other city I know of. And so I see that in your future. I think that what God is stirring here at other church plants around San Francisco and the Bay is a sign, it's a glimpse of what's coming on your horizon. I just speak that over you and pray that into your future, and I'm excited to see what God does. So I love your city, I love your church, and I love your pastor, by the way, kind of have a man crush on him, he's phenomenal, (laughs) and very well dressed, and all of that. And uh, it's just great. So seriously, I hope you know how lucky, lucky is not the right word, blessed you are. And I hope you pray for that guy and encourage that guy and take him out to coffee once in a while. So all that to say, it's great to be here. Hey, um, if you have a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. If you're uh, new to the scriptures, Romans is about three quarters of the way through. There's a table of contents at the beginning of your Bible if you don't know where that is. 
but turn to the New Testament, which is the collection of writings in the wake of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And Romans is the first of what are called epistles, which is a stuck-up way of saying letters to churches all over the ancient Mediterranean. It's true. Um, all over the ancient Mediterranean. And this one was written to the church in the city of... It's not a trick question. Yeah. Rome. Let's start off. That's okay. You don't know me. That's okay. Um, let's start off by reading the opening paragraph. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Here we go. Paul, a servant of King Jesus called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised before and through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his namesake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. That's a mouthful. Paul would not do well on Twitter at all. <laughs> to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, and then listen to this, opening greeting. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Read that out loud with me one more time. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn over to 1 Corinthians to the right. In your Bibles, one letter over. This is another letter written by Paul to the church in the city of Corinth. You're catching on. Let's start off, exact same thing, opening paragraph. Paul, chapter one, verse one. Called to be an apostle of King Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Messiah Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Messiah, their Lord and ours, and then here it is, grace and what? Peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well done. Turn over to 2 Corinthians. One more letter to the right. Let's keep going. I'm going to overmake my point Paul, an apostle of Messiah Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia. Now, I know you're in uh, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. You should know, but by the time he's writing 2 Corinthians, his relationship with the Corinthians is rocky at best. He's at odds with the church. You would think he would ditch grace and peace, but no, too. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul goes on, as you know, to write a whole bunch more letters to churches all over the Mediterranean, in Galatia and Ephesus and Philippi and Colossae, all over the place. And then at the end of his life, we think he writes a few letters to his friends. And I'm going to read the opening to you. Here's one quote from his letter to Timothy. Next slide. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you're a friend, you get a little bit extra grace, mercy, and peace if you're on the inside. In his letter to Titus, he writes to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace, not that great of a friend, from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. One more, I know I'm overmaking my point, but stay with me here. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker and bunch of other people, and the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's my point. This guy, Paul, was all about grace and peace. 
that he starts every single one of his letters, we think upwards of 13, with the exact same greeting. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's piece this apart for a few minutes. First off, grace. The word grace in Greek is charis. Can you say that? Great. And uh, the standard greeting in a letter in the ancient Near East was karin, which basically means greetings. That was kind of business as usual. But Paul twists it a little bit. And instead, in karin, he says charis. If you were reading a letter from Paul in 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 AD, your ears would perk up right here. Really? Charis. Interesting. I mean, what's up with that? Grace. What is grace? One scholar writes this. Hint. That's awesome. The free, spontaneous, unmerited favor of God. Another writes this. this, There you go. Well done. The sum total of God's activity toward his human creatures is found in the word grace. God has given himself to his people bountifully and mercifully in Christ. Nothing is deserved. Nothing can be achieved. Here's one from a Greek scholar, next slide, by the name of Spiros Zodiades. You've got to love the name. He writes this, grace is that which causes joy, pleasure, gratification, favor, and acceptance, a favor done without any expectation of return, the absolutely free expression of the love of God, finding its only motive in the bounty and benevolence of the giver, unearned and unmerited favor. And there's a movie soundtrack in the background, right? Well done, Mr. Zodiades. Now, if you have been around the church for any length of time, that's old news. You already know that, right? Absolutely. It's un- you, when you think of grace, you think of unmerited favor. And I would argue that's absolutely right. But there's a growing number of scholars that actually think that definition is wrong. And, and I, don't, I would not say that. But I would say that this idea of grace as unmerited favor is true, but it's not enough. There's more to it. In fact, Paul uses this word charis, or grace, well over a hundred times through his writings in the New Testament. And quite a few times, it does not mean unmerited favor. Here's a few examples. Here's one from his letter to the Corinthians. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. In context, them is the apostles, Peter, James, John. Yet not I, but what? Are you awake? You alive? Yes? But the grace, I'm sorry for asking you to participate in a church gathering. I apologize for that. Yet not I, but the grace, there is force, that's okay, of God that was with me. Now, what is grace here? It's not unmerited favor. Plug that in. Not I, but the unmerited favor of God that was, no, that's not right. Grace here is a raw, uncut power to do what? To work. To work harder than Peter and James and John and men who are with Jesus, and that's saying something. Here's another one from Paul's next letter to the Corinthians. He writes this, kind of long, but stay with me. Brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace, whoa, sorry, that's the blood of Jesus, I'm sorry. Um, What are you laughing at? My goodness. Um, 
sacrosanct. We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of what? grace on your part. I think there's another, yeah. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech, knowledge, all that stuff, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. What is grace here? It's generosity. It's an empowering from God to share your money with people who don't have enough and your stuff, and your time, and to do justice. You plug in unmerited favor, it doesn't work. So that you also excel in this unmerited favor of giving. No, it's an empowering to do something. One more, to overmake my point, because I'm in the mood for that today. This is from Paul's letter to Timothy. Be strong in the grace that is in King Jesus. That's the kind of line, I've been reading the scriptures my whole life, and that's the kind of line I read early in the morning, and I well up, and I think, yes, be strong in the grace that is in. And then I think, what does that actually mean? I'm not sure. It sounds beautiful, but what does that actually mean? Well, Paul goes on. Here's what it means. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer similar Lee, it's an adverb, I hate that. Anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. What does Paul mean by be strong in the grace that is in Jesus? He means you fight like a soldier and you exercise and run and work out and compete like an athlete and you work your tail off up early, hard at it like a farmer, that. And what is that? That's grace. Now grace in these examples, and there's a ton more we don't have time for, but grace in these examples, in the language of scholarship, is the empowering presence of God. Deep in your being, a a power, but more than that, a presence of God inside you that makes it possible for you to fight and exercise and work and pray and serve the city and do justice and worship and all the stuff that you and I are called to do. One of the early church fathers called grace, next slide, the divine energy working in the soul. Alistair McGrath, who's a prof at Oxford, one of the best we have right now, writes this, grace is the real and redeeming presence of God in Christ within the believer. All that to say, grace is way more than unmerited favor. It is that, in my opinion, absolutely. But it's also the empowering presence of God deep inside and through your life. Here's my definition of grace. Next slide. It's a bit over the top, and I apologize for that. But here we go. The lavish, opulent, raw, untamed, scandalous blessing of God unearned, undeserved, illogical, disproportionate, poured out through Christ over every facet of your life and the living presence of the creator God deep inside you poured on out through the spirit in a flood of euphoric joy, transcendent peace and limitless power to be and do and live up to God's calling on your life. That to you, all of that. Grace to 
you. And then Paul goes on, secondly, um, to say peace, grace and peace. The word peace is Irene in Greek, so we get the word Irene. Anybody named Irene? No, that was awkward. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's fine. It's not a San Francisco name. Uh, we don't really have an English word to capture the kind of semantic spectrum, all the depth and texture of this Greek word, arene, because the English word for peace is flat and one-dimensional, right? By peace, we mean the absence of conflict. It's war and peace. But to Paul, in particular in the Greek language, peace is calm and tranquility right in the middle of conflict. One scholar writes that peace is, next slide, Harmony, tranquility, wholeness, well-being, salvation of the total person, reconciliation of persons and societies to God, as well as to one another, peace at the deepest level. Where is he getting that? He's getting that from the fact that Paul was Jewish. Paul writes in Greek, but he thinks in Hebrew. Remember that he started off as a Jewish rabbi. And in a Hebrew worldview, um, in the language, for example, the word peace is what in Hebrew? Anybody know? Yeah, sh- you all know that, shalom. I, and it's the greeting, not only in the ancient world, but to this day by Jews all over the planet. I was in Israel not long ago. You can't go three feet without somebody saying to you loud, shalom, shalom, peace to you, peace to you. That is the greeting. And keep in mind that in a Jewish worldview, shalom is way more than peace. It's, it's a moniker for the Garden of Eden, It's a shorthand way to retell the Genesis 1-2 story. It's about the world as God intended, the world as it's supposed to be. It is a deep, pervasive sense of well-being, joy and delight, harmony with everything, with God, the creator who made you, with society, your city, your culture, your neighborhood, your friends, your family, your roommate, your spouse, your children, harmony with the earth, the environment, the planet that you're part of, and harmony with yourself, with your own body, with your own soul, with how God wired you, that, all of that together in sync is shalom. Last night, Dave and I were having dinner down at the, on the water place, what was it called, Dave? Plant, I think? It was fantastic. And you're there, and we were out on this patio on the back, and it was pristine. It rains in my city all the time, okay? And you come to California, and it's, it's heaven away from heaven, all right? And the weather, I mean, the temperature was fantastic. There was a cool breeze. There was a heater right above. We were outside on the water in the Bay Bridge with the art thingy. It was awesome. <laughs> and I'm there, and it's so great up to catch, with, catch up with Dave, and he's well-dressed as always. And, <laughs> and, and the food was fantastic. And it was just, and I'm so happy to be here, and I was excited to be with you the next morning. And I just had this sense of, yes. What is that? That's Shalom. That's life as it's supposed to be, 24-7. That's the garden. And one day your life will be like that again on the other side of resurrection. That's it. That's shalom. Grace, Paul says, and peace to you. But then Paul goes on to say, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This grace and peace isn't from Paul, right? He's not the source. He's the conduit. God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ is the source. Now, a word on each. First, God our Father. In Paul's day, um, really in a growing sense, um, more and more in a city like San Francisco or Portland, you could not say grace and peace to you from God because it was a world steeped in the gods and goddesses and pluralism and paganism was the rage all over the Mediterranean. So if you said grace and peace from God, people would think, well, which one? 
Zeus, Epaphrodite, God is not a common denominator. We think that in the West. That English word, God, I mean, is not a common denominator. People would think, well, which one? From Caesar? From which God? No, Paul says, no, from God the Father. Now, Paul is getting that language from Jesus. Paul, as you know, is a follower of Jesus. And Jesus, more than any other man in history, called God Abba, in Aramaic, his native tongue, or in English, Father or Dad. Now, that was unheard of in Jesus' day. Yes, God, you know, was the Father of Israel in a metaphoric sense, but nobody thought of God as my Father, your Father. That was all new. But Jesus, to Jesus, the primary and dominant metaphor for you to understand how you relate to the creator of the universe is that of father and son or daughter. You're God's child, we're brothers, we're sisters, that language is ubiquitous all over the New Testament. We are family, all wrapped around God the Father. And this God the Father that Paul is speaking of, he's nothing like the so-called gods in the Greco-Roman pantheon. Capricious, if you know anything about Greek mythology, malignant, volatile, selfish, narcissistic. No, God is nothing like that. He is all about grace and peace. That's God's message. That's the Father's message. And then he goes on to say, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know that title, at least in my mind, sounds religious and, to be honest, a bit cliche, right? The Lord Jesus Christ. But keep in mind that in the first century, in 60 AD or whenever this was written, that was a subversive and provocative statement to Gentiles and to Jews. To Gentiles, Caesar, the head of the Roman Empire, he was Kyrios in Greek, or Lord. He was the ultimate power, the bridge between heaven and earth. He was Kyrios. Paul says, nope, sorry, I know the propaganda. He's not, he's a sham. He's the parody of which Jesus, the crucified Messiah, of which Jesus is the reality. In in true life, Paul is saying, Jesus is Kyrios, Jesus is Lord. And then that word Christ is Christos in Greek. It can be translated Christ or King. That's how it would have been read to a Gentile ear, King. Paul is saying Jesus is King, not Herod, not Pilate, not Agrippa, not Caesar. Jesus is Lord and King. And then to a Jewish mind, that word Yahweh was Kyrios. In the Greek translation of the Bible called the Septuagint that was used by Paul, you don't even remember that, there's no test at the end, but in that translation, which was used all over the New Testament and by men and women like Paul, probably by Jesus, the Hebrew tetragrammaton, Yahweh, which is God's name, a proper name for the creator, was translated into Greek as Kyrios. So to a Jewish mind, when you say Jesus is Lord, you're saying Jesus is Yahweh in person, in flesh and blood. That's either blasphemy or gospel, one or the other. And that word Christos is Messiah, the long-awaited king of Israel. So all that to say, this is a charged statement, provocative, dangerous, treasonous. Is it any wonder that Paul is in prison by the time he's writing half of his letters in the name of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, here's why this is important for those of you that lost, don't care about the last few minutes. It's okay, I don't blame you. Here's why this is important. That means that Paul's greeting, grace and peace to you, has weight and oomph and gravity because it's not from Paul. It's from God our Father. Tyler was up here leading worship. What a fantastic, wherever you are, Tyler, phenomenal job. If I said to Tyler, hey man, I'm from out of town, my buddy Joe knows your music and loves it. And he just wants you to know that Tyler, he thinks your music is fantastic and he hope you does well. You do well, you, d- you does well. 
I, I speak for a living? What in the world? Um, okay, moving on. You only get one service here. That's like, you get one shot. If it's lousy, it's lousy. <laughs> Seriously, the pressure is on. My, good, my first one's always warm up. I teach four or five. This is vacation, but it's scary. Moving on, that was a ten squirrel, I'm sorry. So if I said, my Joe, my friend Joe says, you know, Tyler, your, music, your music's great. I know you have a band, a side project. It's great. We love it. We think you're going to... My guess is Tyler would say, cool. I don't know who your friend is, but great. Thank you. And go about his day. But if I said, dude, I was just in London, and I was hanging out with Marcus Mumford of the most successful folk band in decades, ever since hippies were in San Francisco, all right? And he said that he listens to music, it's, it's on repeat, constantly. It's all he does is listen to music. He thinks it's fantastic, he thinks you are the net, and he just wants you to know that he loves your music and he wants to do anything he can to make you successful. Now that's totally hypothetical, I'm sorry Tyler, I don't know him <laughs> at all. In fact, I think their second record is terrible. But, if I said that, that would mean something, right? I mean, he would perk up, are you serious, from, from who? You were with who? And he said that about me? What's the difference between, hey, grace and peace to you from Paul or John Mark or whoever, and grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that is the heart of God our Father, the creator of everything, and the Lord Jesus, the ultimate power in the universe. That heart for you and for me and for followers of Jesus, not only in the first century, but all the way to the 21st, not only in Rome, but in San Francisco and Portland or wherever you live and call home, God's heart for you and me is grace and peace. That is the tip of God's agenda for his people. Grace and peace. Now, on that note, a few thoughts um, before we step into a time of worship about Paul's greeting. First off, if you're taking notes, what if greetings matter? You know, Paul could have just said, Paul, to the church in Rome or wherever, hi. <laughs> Corinne. But instead, it's this and that and gospel and apostleship and all sorts of crazy stuff and grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ because to Paul, greetings matter. Greetings carry weight. Greetings are over the top important. In fact, in a bunch of Paul's letters, at the end he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, don't worry, we don't take that literally. Um, a few of the single guys do in every church, but... I'm sure Daly will deal with you later. Um, but we do take that seriously. Greet one another with a holy kiss. That's why you do a four-minute greeting, right? Now, I get it. I know how that for. We do the exact same thing. Like, you stole that from us, but we stole it from another church, so it doesn't matter. Um, the secret to creativity is knowing how to hide your sources, right? Einstein said that. Moving on. Um, but I know you're in that, 40, that four minutes and it's hilarious to watch out, like to, to watch out over the crowd. All of you extroverted people are in heaven. Oh, new people, yes. <laughs> who, who are you? What's your name? I don't know you, more people, more fun. Hi, I'm Sarah and it's so great to know you and, and, you're, and you're in your element. All you introverted people, of which I am one, all of a sudden you have to go to the bathroom. Or, or you forgot your coffee, you know? 
or somehow you end up in the middle row and you can't get out for coffee or what have you and you're stuck and it's torture. I mean, you're there, hi, what's your name? Mm-hmm. Three minutes, 49 seconds. <laughs> Dang it. So, the weather, yeah, foggy and then sunny. Okay, that's great. You work where? Yeah, I don't really care, but okay. Mm-hmm. That's great. A minute 50, this sermon better be good, seriously. And you, you grin it and you bear it and you endure it. Like, why, why do that? I mean, why not skip the greeting mumbo-jumbo and get to the Bible and Jesus and all that kind of stuff? Why? Because greetings matter. And we need to realize that greetings matter because people matter. And every time you bump into somebody and have a 30-second conversation at church in a four-minute time block or before or after at your community group or at the office or the park where you walk your dog or your coffee shop or your gym or whatever... You need to know that you have a window, and it's short and it's small, to make people know, listen, you matter. You matter to me, whether I know you or not, or like you or not. You matter to this church. You're not a face in a crowd. I know there's a ton of people right here in this auditorium, but you are a daughter of God. You are a son of the Father, you, and you matter to God. To the God who made you, you are important to him. When you're in a conversation at church, at work, at the park, anywhere, the person in front of you is the most important person in the room. Please listen to me in particular if you're under the age of 30. Don't look over his or her shoulder for somebody who's cooler or more interesting or smarter or better dressed or more your style or more your demographic or if you're single, who's also single or better looking No, the person in front of you is the most important person in the universe. And you have just a few short seconds, if not minutes, to say, you know what, you matter to me, to this church, and to the God that we follow in Jesus. You know, I don't think that Paul would call grace and peace a greeting, to be honest. I mean, it reads weird, right? Grace and peace to you from God. Is it? It reads kind of like a greeting, but then kind of like a prayer, grace, peace to you, but kind of like a command, grace, peace, but kind of like a wish. I think it's all of the above. I think it's what Paul would call a blessing. Now, um, this idea of a blessing, we have no parallel for it in the modern world, at least not in, the, not in the West. In the East, yes, but not in the West. But in a Hebrew worldview, this was well known. The idea of a blessing goes back to Genesis chapter 1, where one of the first words out of God's mouth are, the text says, God blessed human, Adam and Eve, and said, quote, anybody know? You're not married yet. Be fruitful and multiply. (laughs) Fill the earth and subdue it. That was the first blessing What is a blessing? A blessing is a life-giving word. It is... It's a way of speaking over somebody, and it's a word that you speak that is freighted with the power to create something out of nothing, to call something into existence. In the Hebrew wisdom literature, it is written, death and life are in the power of the tongue, meaning there is a nuclear power in your mouth to either make alive or to tear apart and kill and destroy, either way. That's one of the reasons that if you're a parent here, and my my guess is not a ton of you, you're in San Francisco, it's expensive, but if you're a parent here, one of, 
If you ever want to make me really, really, really mad, talk negative about your children in public in front of them. This happens all the time with parents, and it, it drives me nuts. Oh, Jack, he is such a terror. Well, of course he is. You speak that over him every day. He's just living up to what you say is true of him. Oh, Sarah, she's so wild and unruly and stubborn. Well, of course. She's living up to what you say is true of her. That's why with my children, I say all the time, you are obedient, (laughs) well-behaved, neat, clean, happy, well done. You call that manipulation? I call it a blessing, okay? (laughs) But seriously, I know a ton of you, my guesses, don't have children, but Portland's cheaper than San Francisco. I have three. And (laughs) Jude is seven, and uh, Moses is four, and then Sunday is also four. She's adopted from Uganda about a year ago, and gorgeous. And on a regular basis, I sit my children down on the couch, shoulder to shoulder. It's like, it is the funnest thing as a dad. And I speak a blessing over each one. Jude, you are whatever. You are the life of the party and magnetic and fun. May you be filled with God's love for every kid you bump into at school today. Moses, you are strong and smart and funny and may you be a leader for God's people today and lead people into kingdom. Sunday, you are sweet and quiet and gentle. May you be filled with mercy for those in need of justice. And the funnest thing is to watch these children who are all ADD and, you know, (laughs) like all of the sudden calm down and the shoulders go back and the chin goes up and the smile and the eyes are wide and it's like you can see children thinking, I am? (laughs) Yes, I am. I am the life of the party. I am a leader in the kingdom. Really, I'm gentle? I am gentle, (laughs) yes. And it's amazing, on a serious note, it's like in, in the spirit, In prophecy, I think is the language that Paul would borrow, you call out what you see in somebody. As a father, that's one of the most important jobs you will ever have is to call out good because your children will become what you tell them they are, right? If you tell your kids you're lousy at sports, you're lousy at math, you're bad at this, you're bad at the other, you're lousy at, then the odds are either they will be lousy at whatever or they will spend the next 50 years trying to prove you wrong. Because we are in larger part than I want to admit, the sum total of what other people say about us. I wish that was not true. That's why I'm so thankful that we follow a God who says you're holy, you're blameless, you're chosen, you're son, you're daughter, you're predestined, you're filled, you're called, you're a king, you're a priest, you're a ruler. That's what's true of you. And then God says live into that. All that to say, whether you're a mom or dad or or not at all, who is there in your life this coming week that if you bump into at work, at the office, wherever, you could elevate a greeting to a blessing and you could speak, you could partner in the name and the authority of Jesus, meaning in line with what Jesus is all about and in the power of the spirit, you could speak a word over somebody and call out something into existence. See in the spirit what God is stirring up in a man or a woman or a child or a coworker or a friend or a pastor or whoever and you could call out in the spirit and partner with God to create. That, my friends, is a blessing. What if greetings matter? And secondly, moving on, 
Um, what if we were to see ourselves as conduits of grace and peace? When Paul says grace and peace, he's not just being nice, right? Paul sees himself as a conduit and God is the source. He sees himself as a dispenser, an agent, a UPS delivery truck driver, right? Ding dong, here you go, sign on the dotted line, what's in the package? Grace, peace. It's for you. All I am is a messenger. And he sees it as his, his job to pass on grace and peace. I think of the language of Jesus in the Gospels. Freely you have received, now freely what? Give. How many of you have freely received from Jesus? How many of you have a life filled with grace, filled with peace? Well, freely give. Pass it on. You are an agent. You are a dispenser. You are a conduit of grace and peace. In the language of the New Testament, you're a, you're a priest. That language is weird to you and me, unless if you're Catholic, and then it's still weird. But listen, the problem with, with the Catholic Church, and I have a ton of respect, actually, for the Catholic Church. The problem was not that they called men priests. It's that they called a select few men priests rather than everybody priests. Whoever you are, if you follow Jesus and are filled with the Spirit, male, female, young, old, mature, anything but, you are a priest. You work in an office, you start up with 15 people, you're the priest of your startup. You're a mom, you're a dad, you're the priest of your family. You're a barista, you work with 12 people, you are the priest of your coffee shop. You work in retail, God bless you, you're the priest <laughs> of wherever it is you work. What, you fill in the blank, you, your neighborhood, your apartment complex, your condo tower, you are a priest, you're a conduit for God. Think of that this coming week when you bump into people, people you know and people you don't know from Adam. How could you pass on grace, favor, acceptance, empowering presence to be and do what God's called you to be? How could you pass on peace, shalom, delight, joy, well-being, harmony? Who is there in your life that the odds are you're going to see this coming week that you could pass grace and peace onto? Right now, think about it. Is there a name, is there a face in your mind's eye from the Holy Spirit? Is there somebody that God is stirring up in you? Maybe somebody you get along with, maybe not so much. Who is there that God's put in front of you? What if we were to see ourselves as conduits of grace and peace? And then last, before we step into worship, what if we started every letter with grace and peace? Paul started Romans with grace and peace, and then Corinthians with grace and peace, and then Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Thessalonians and all down the list with grace and peace. What if we started every letter, every email, every text message, every conversation, every meeting, every disagreement, every awkward moment? What if we started everything with grace and peace? With friends like the Romans, people we love to hang out with and be with, and with people like the Corinthians, where it's rough and it's awkward and it's uneasy and you're not sure about it. What if this week when you get mad at your spouse or your coworker or your neighbor or whatever and things start to ratchet up and he or she says something and you're about to fire back and inaugurate World War III, what if you were to stop, take a deep breath? Grace, peace to you. Let's sort this out. If you're a parent, what if this week when your kids start to drive you crazy, I'm just saying that would never happen to me, but to you. Um, <laughs> And you think, how many times do I have to tell you to put the Legos away? Or whatever it is. What if you were to curb your tongue, take a deep breath, sign up for anger management class later. But, and what if you were to note Jude, 
Grace, peace, that's my heart for you. I want you filled with life and empowering from the spirit of God to be who God's called you to be in peace and harm. That's God's heart for you. And, and go put away your Legos, by the way, buddy. What if you were in that moment, and you all know that moment, it's brutal, where your emotion starts to just surge up inside of you and it's about to explode. What if you were to stop before the volcano? Grace, peace from God the Father. Because grace, my friends, is the starting point and to be honest, it's the ending point. Paul starts and ends all of his letters. Feel free, you can turn there if you want. You don't really need to. But really fast, let me read to you the ending of Romans, for example. The God of peace will be with you. Amen. The ending of 1 Corinthians. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. The ending of 2 or 2 Corinthians. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you and the God of love and peace will be with you. The end of Galatians, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Peace and mercy to all follow this rule. The end of Ephesians, peace to the brothers and sisters, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. On and on, Paul starts and ends every single letter with grace and peace. What if we started everything and ended everything with grace and peace? What if you were known all around the city as grace and peace people? Oh, you're from reality? I thought that was a nightclub. Then I found out it was a church. That's fantastic. (laughs) And seriously, everybody I know from reality is, man, so much grace, so much peace. Now, to be honest, most of you don't know me, so I could fool you. Well, maybe not, but... This is not me. I'm not like this. Grace, I'm type A, perfectionist, nothing is ever good enough, demanding. Peace, I have a book on anxiety and depression for sale if you're interested. (laughs) No, I am stressed out all the time, high strung, right? Anxiety is like my my weak spot, right? And this is not me. I can be rude and curt with my wife, who's incredible. I I can be impatient and caustic with my children that are awesome, even when the Legos are all over. Um, (laughs) I I can be. And that's not okay, because I have freely received grace and peace from the center of the universe, the God who made everything. And now I'm called to freely give. I'm a grace and peace Man, and you are grace and peace, people. What would it look like for you and I this coming week to be filled with grace and peace? To end, um, go ahead and stand up, if you would. Clear off your lap. And That is loud. Wow. In my church, this is like the moment. That doesn't happen here with the chairs. I just would like to wrap up, if it's okay, and I asked Dave and he said it was all right, to just speak a blessing over you. I do this not from my own voice, but in the authority and the power of King Jesus, the ultimate ruler of the universe. So if you just want to stand there and receive, if you want to close your eyes, that's fine. If not, that's great. If you want to put your hands out, maybe just as a posture of saying you're ready to receive from the Holy Spirit. If you think that's weird, don't do it. But if you want, just go ahead and put your hands out. And I just want to speak over you and the power and the authority of King Jesus and what he is all about.
may you be filled with grace, with God's empowering presence poured out over your life as a church and as men and women in Christ and filled with the Spirit. May you be filled with peace, with a deep sense of well-being no matter what is up against your church or your life, with an ongoing, unbreakable, unfazed sense of joy and delight in the world that God made. May you be grace and peace people. May you be known all over San Francisco, all up and down the West Coast as grace and peace people who are filled with God and his presence and his love. May you be a living embodiment to this city of God's heart for San Francisco, his grace, his peace. And may all of this happen through the Spirit. May he baptize you and fill you with himself. And may you be a glimpse of what's coming for this city the vanguard of God's inbreaking world, and may thousands upon thousands of people in this city come to know and believe and trust in the grace and peace of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.